Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. Welcome to New Life. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here. We're so glad that you're here today, and uh, we exist to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world, one person at a time. Today we're finishing up, well actually next week we're finishing up a seven week series, so we're in this home stretch of a series called Make War, as you saw on the screen. It has been about the seven deadly sins. We started on Easter Day, we talked about pride, and then we've worked our way through um, lust, and then sloth, then greed, then envy. Today will be anger, and then next week we'll close out the series with gluttony. And uh, the reason we've been doing this series is because down through church history, um, there have been these seven sins which people have identified as Um, being particularly deadly. All sins are deadly. They separate us from God. But these seven, um, really actually most of the sins that there are could be put into one of those seven. And for me, the the one of anger or wrath, which is today's topic, that's the one with which I'm the most acquainted from my personal experience. In fact, I grew up in an angry household. uh, Many of you might know the story. Well, actually, if you've been around for a while, I haven't told it for a while, but my dad was a very angry guy. You know how they talk about people have a short fuse? Well, my dad's fuse was about two millimeters long, and it exploded often. And so from the time I was a baby, growing up, I was always exposed to that. And, uh, and because of that, um, I learned, sort of rubbed off on me, you might say. By the time I was five, I learned that the best way to deal with anything that didn't go the way I wanted it to was to be angry. And uh, before we Uh, move into what anger really is and what it really does, let's define it because we might be not thinking about exactly the same thing. So dictionary.com defines anger this way. It's a strong feeling of displeasure and belligerence aroused by a wrong, wrath or ire. When it's used as a verb, it means to arouse anger or wrath in. And, And since it is sometimes called, the sixth deadly sin is sometimes called wrath. Let's look at wrath. Wrath is a strong, stern or fierce anger, deeply resentful indignation, ire. Um, And so what we see then is that anger is a strong feeling which is aroused by a wrong, which means anger can be a good thing. In fact, God is angry sometimes. In fact, I'm pretty sure God's angry quite a bit because God is angry with sin. And in the Old Testament, we see his wrath is poured out in a lot of ways, but people don't think God was angry in the New Testament, but he was and still is because God detests sin. And so ought to, we ought to as well. In fact, there are times, I'm sure, when you're watching the news and something happens and you just, you just get angry because of the injustice. And injustice should make us angry. It really ought to. But, but what I'm talking about when I talk about anger, the kind that was in my household, it wasn't always about injustice. In fact, usually that kind of anger is just because I feel inconvenienced or frustrated or whatever has nothing to do with injustice. Let me give you an illustration from my dad's life. Um, when I was about six or seven, my dad was working on a lawnmower. And uh, he worked on it for several hours. And after several hours of not being able to get it to run, my dad picked up this lawnmower. And we had a stone wall lining along our driveway. And he took it and he smashed it in pieces on the wall. Now, here's the question. Was that kind of anger justified? No. I mean, there was no injustice there. His lawnmower didn't work. It was frustrating. It was inconvenient. In fact, even as a six or seven-year-old, I'm thinking, well, Dad, that seems like a dumb way to fix something. Because never going to work, right? But that's what anger does in our lives many times. And, and the thing is, I saw all too many incidents of that. And so those images were, were, you know, sort of 
seared into my brain, but unfortunately, another part of my life received it too, my heart. And Jesus, whenever he was on the earth doing his teaching, one of the things that Jesus said, very important thing, is that out of our hearts will come our lives. And in fact, he was talking to the religious leaders of his day, the the Pharisees one time, and this is what he said. He said, brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. So over time, our hearts become the depositories of whatever it is that our lives are given over to. In my case, anger was one of those things that was deposited in my heart. And in your life, maybe it was anger. Maybe it's one of the other seven deadly sins. But over time, those things, if we dwell on them, if we focus on them, they get put into our heart. And what Jesus said is eventually that comes out. And so if you get to know a person and you see what they talk about a lot, then you will know what's in their heart because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, The problem I had was I trusted Jesus as my Savior and Lord when I was 12 years old, and yet the anger was still there. I I still acted like my dad whenever stuff came up, and what's what's up with that, right? So here's the thing. Let's talk a little bit about what is up whenever we say that we're followers of Jesus, but whatever the sin is that we'll call it a signature sin, the one that we're most prone to, continues to go on even though we have Jesus Christ in our life. And and so let's look at the take-home point. The take-home point is the one point that we seek to make every week, and in the case of this series, it's been the same one every week, and we want to take it home, think about it, reflect on it, and then pray about it, and then live it out in the week ahead. In this case, it informs us. It says that things are not what they seem. There's a war going on, and you play a vital role in the outcome. So first of all, things aren't what they seem. I mean, I was a follower of Jesus, and, and that was the truth. But what it seemed like was that I wasn't because I would still get angry. And the, and the truth of the matter is I would do something that wasn't appropriate, uh, anger-wise, and it wasn't because of an injustice. It was just because I was upset. And so I would say, God, please forgive me. And if you were watching, if you had been there watching me in my time of prayer, you would have thought, wow, he's sincere. And I was sincere. And I would sincerely pray, God, please forgive me. And then I would say, I'll never do that again. And then like five minutes later, boom, something would happen and I would be angry again. And I would say, God, please forgive me. So the thing is, you would think because I'm a follower of Jesus, that wouldn't happen, but it did. And in fact, that continued to go on until I actually, till unfortunately, about nine years ago is how long it took me. I was 51 years old when it happened. And that, what, what happened then was I finally realized something. That if God, the, the Holy Spirit, you know, God is one person, Father, or three persons, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is truly in my life, then he could write new things in my heart. And, uh, and, and I wouldn't have to live out of this anger that was there for so long. And, and what does the Holy Spirit write on our hearts? Well, he writes the fruit of himself, which the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is a singular fruit because it's one Holy Spirit, but he gives us these nine facets of himself. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so I would call on God in those moments where I was angry. I would call on God, and what would happen is there would be a change. And the good news for all of us is that's possible for every single person who trusts Jesus as Savior and Lord. We can call on the power of Almighty God, the Holy Spirit, to come in and overcome pride or lust or sloth, greed, any of them, anger included. 
But today what we're going to do is we're going to turn uh, in the Bible to the book of Genesis and we're going to see the deadly consequences of anger. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I don't generally ask you to do this. I'm not sure if I've ever asked you to do this. But I'm going to ask you to open up your connection and get your, out your outline. Even if you don't use the outline, today I'm going to ask you to do it. Because there are three questions in the outline that I want you to answer while I'm reading the scripture or through the course of the message this morning. And we're going to read about Cain and Abel. And Cain uh, ultimately kills his brother Abel. You might know the story, but if you don't, we're going to read it. So the three questions are, was Cain's anger justified? Secondly, what was the consequence of his anger? And thirdly, how did God respond to Cain's failure to control his anger? So in order to find out the answers to those questions, let's turn to God's Word, the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, chapter 4, if you want to follow along, it will also be up on the screen, starting in uh, the middle of verse 2, where it says, when they grew up, that is, Cain and Abel grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift. But he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what, you, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Once again, the words are hard, difficult, and challenging, and, and we see the consequences of anger can be so dev devastating. And God, we pray today that if that's the sin uh, that we default to, or, or whatever the sin is, God, that you would come into us by the power of your Holy Spirit and overcome it. God, we don't want to see consequences like that in our lives. So fill us today with your Holy Spirit, that we can hear your word that we can have our souls changed, that is our minds, our emotions, and our will, so that we will follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, look at the first point in your outline. It says this, everyday life sets the table for anger. Everyday life. It doesn't take some difficult or challenging situation, just being alive. I mean, if you look at the, the account that we just read, it says, when they grew up, that is Cain and Abel, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. So Abel was a shepherd while Cain was a farmer. No, you wouldn't think that would cause conflict, but we know that in the course of history, farmers and shepherds have had issues with each other. I don't know if that was what it was about. doesn't seem like it. But what we see next is this. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. So here's a quick sidebar. We're told that Cain brought some of his crops but that Abel brought the best of the firstborn of his flock. Now, it's interesting that 
Cain and Abel brought an offering to God at all because there's no law that says you have to give a tenth of anything to God or that you have to bring tithes and offerings. There's no law like that would be written for hundreds and hundreds of years to the law of Moses. And yet Cain and Abel brought an offering to God. Why? Because they recognize there's a God. They recognize that there's one who created everything that exists and that the response of a, of a thankful, grateful person would be to give something to him. But the thing is, Cain's gift was just some of, while Abel's gift was the best that he had, the best of the firstborn of his flock. And we don't know if that's why God accepted or, or why uh, he, he accepted Abel's and not Cain's. But what we do know is this. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented, uh, sorry, let's move on. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he didn't accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. So we, again, don't know exactly why one was accepted and one wasn't. It could be because it was best in some. It doesn't say that. But what we know is that Cain got angry. He looked dejected, and he was angry. You could tell he was angry. And so here's the question. Number one, we ask this question, was Cain's anger justified? And we're going to do this the American way. We're going to vote. I want you to raise your hand if you think that Cain's anger was justified. Anybody think it was justified? Okay, if you don't think it was justified, would you raise your hand? Okay, most of you think it wasn't justified. And even though we did it the American way, the majority doesn't rule, God rules, right? And so what God says in the Bible, what the Bible says about God is he's just. So if God is just and he didn't accept Cain's offering, that means that Cain was not justified in being angry because if he had done the right thing, then he would have, you know, been blessed by God. So Cain was not justified in doing what he did. But here's the thing. Even though he wasn't justified, the next point in your outline says that God always offers a solution to anger and every other sin in our lives. So what happens next is God says to Cain, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. You see, God knew Cain's heart, right? I mean, God knows every heart. So he knew Cain's heart, and he knew it would be inside of Cain's heart that the decision and then the commitment would be made to do what was right or to not do what was right. But he also warned Cain about something. He said, sin is crouching at your door. And the reality is, the word in the Hebrew that, that is like, like, a, like a leopard or a tiger that's crouched ready to spring at prey. That's the word. I mean, that's how sin is. And, and that isn't just true for Cain. That's true for every one of us in the room. It might not be anger. It might be lust or pride or greed or whatever. It might be one of the other ones. But whatever it is, sin is always there, always ready to pounce on you, ready to pounce on me. And so sin was re ready to pounce on Cain, and God says to him, you need to be careful here. You need to ultimately change your heart because if you don't, sin is going to win a victory. It's ready to control you. And the thing that I want you to remember about Cain's life is he didn't really have the option that we have, which is to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, to receive the Holy Spirit, and then we have the Holy Spirit in our life. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this fight that's going on that was going on with Cain inside of himself, it's going on in our soul, in our mind, our emotions, and our will, but we have an opportunity to win. It's found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. I've turned, had us turn to this passage many times over the years because it tells us what's really going on at moment by moment in our, inside of us. 
So it says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that what you do, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So Cain was in danger of letting his sinful nature or his flesh, as some translations call it, be in charge. In our lives, we have that danger too. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's your Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit's inside of you. Let's say my, my left hand to your right is the, the Holy Spirit. And since the Holy Spirit is God, he has all power. And here's my sinful nature, still inside of me, even though I'm born again, still have a sinful nature. So we have a fight, and it says that. We're always fighting. The Holy Spirit and my sinful nature, always fighting. Simple question. If the Holy Spirit and Chris Marshall have a fight, who wins? The Holy Spirit, right? He's God, so boom. It should be like that. I mean, if, you know, the referee blows the whistle, boom. Chris Marshall's pin. It's over. But it isn't like that. It isn't like that. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't, force us to do the right thing. At any given moment in our lives, we can call on the Holy Spirit. He will come in and, and we submit to him and he will cause us to do the right thing. But at the same time, he won't force us to do the right thing. And what does the human heart want? The human heart wants control. We figured that out back on you know Easter day when we talked about how Adam and Eve brought the first sin into the world. The, the devil convinced them that God was not good that God didn't have their best interest at heart and that they should control their lives. And that's pride, and that pride led to all the other sins. And so we often have this battle going on. Actually, I would say it's all the time the battle's going on, and we have to choose. Are we going to let the Holy Spirit be in control, or are we going to be in control? And when we win, we lose because sin takes over in our lives. But when we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, and it looks like we're losing, we win. Because, as Pastor Brad reminded us, it's only when we surrender, right, to Jesus Christ that we win. And that's, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit is victorious in our lives. So, the next thing we find, and sort of just a recap of what I just said, when the flesh wins in our lives, the consequences are deadly. So here's what happened. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out in the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So... In our day, we would call that premeditated murder, first-degree murder. He went out with intent to kill. He had a plan. He carried out the plan. So here's the question. What was the consequence of Cain's anger? What was the consequence? Murder. Yeah, murder was the consequence of Cain's anger. Now, that's a radical consequence, isn't it? But, but the truth of the matter is, whenever we sin, any kind of sin, we are causing some kind of death. Spiritual death to ourselves. In this case, it caused physical death to Cain. I mean, to Abel, because Cain killed his brother. And, and in our lives, the, the sin of anger always kills something. It can kill a relationship. It can kill a person. It can kill an idea. But Jesus, when he came to the earth, you know, much, much later than this, he was talking in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 about anger. Actually, about murder. And he said, you know, it says in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, that if you, you shouldn't commit murder. But then he says, but I say to you, if you've ever been angry with your brother, you've killed him in your heart. So by that standard, is anybody in the room a murderer? Huh, uh-huh, all of us. We're all murderers by that standard. So sin causes death. Anger is the quickest one that gets us there. 
because, because anger caused, you know, you've, ever, you've heard the saying, if looks could kill, I'd be dead. Well, the person with those kind of looks already killed you in their heart. And so we, we all have done that. We all do that. And so the, the, the bottom line for us is what happens after we sin? Because we do sin. And what we find out is that God's grace is extended when we fail to live up to his standards. Cain killed his brother Abel literally. And Cain deserved to die. According to the law that wasn't written yet, Cain would be killed because, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for life. If I, if I killed somebody in Brandon's family, if I killed Brandon, his family was permitted to kill me. That's what eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life is all about. But God didn't do that to Cain. In fact, what we find out, it says this, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield crops for you, no, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you'll be a homeless wanderer on the earth. So let's look at our final question. How did God respond to Cain's failure to control his anger? He cursed him, right? And he banished him. He didn't kill him. But he cursed him, and he banished him. He was a nomad. No longer was he able to be a farmer. That was his life. He was a farmer, but he couldn't be a farmer anymore. He was going to be a nomad. He wasn't going to ever have a home again. And so it was a very serious thing. Even though God would eventually, you know, come up with this standard of eye for eye, in this case, he simply spared the life, gave Cain a chance to continue living. And imagine the rest of his life, he had to think about what he did, and potentially, he would have the chance to change so God wants us to win in our lives. In, in this battle that's going on between the Holy Spirit and us, God wants us to win. God wants us to experience that victory. God wants us, when we have situations of anger, as I did for years and years and years in my life, God wants us to let the Holy Spirit be in control so the anger will be subdued and so that we will win and have victory. But here's the thing. I said this wrong last night. And Pastor Brad corrected me after the service. I, we always talk about the service. And I said, the devil can't make us do anything, and God won't make us do anything. Well, this statement, the first statement's only half true. The devil can't make us do anything if we are followers of Jesus Christ. If we have been born again, then we have the Spirit of God in our lives, and the devil can't make us do anything. But if we're not followers of Jesus, if we haven't been born again, then we actually can be controlled by the devil. If you look in the book of uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, those books, you will find where there are demons present in people's lives and they're controlling the behavior. That can happen if you're not a follower of Jesus. But once you come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit's in there, so the devil can't make us do anything. We don't have to sin in that situation whenever it comes up. But God won't make us do anything. Because he loves us. The Holy Spirit loves us, and he doesn't want slaves. He doesn't want robots. He wants children. So he waits for us to make the right choice, and then he always acts. When we call on him, he always acts. That's amazing truth. So nine years ago, I had, you know, as I said, had this lifelong challenge and problem with anger. And so what I did Nine years ago, I read a book called Change Your Heart, Change Your Life. And in that book, Gary Smalley said something very simple, but it turned out to be very profound for me. And that is, all those instances of anger that were written on my heart, he actually used an illustration. He said, that much is like carved into your heart. Anger was carved into my heart. It was my default mode, even though I was a follower of Jesus. So he said, what you need to do 
is you need to let the Holy Spirit of God, you know, overwrite what's there with something new. Well, what would he write new? Well, you can find thousands and thousands of things that God could write new in your heart uh, in this book. And I chose a simple one. We call it the golden rule. In all things, do to others as you would have them do to you. In all things, do to others as you would have them do to you. And so in every situation where I usually would get angry, I would simply pray for God to fill me with his spirit. And, and I would say, God, let me do what I would want to have done to me. So, for example, everyday life, I would, you know, be driving behind somebody 25 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. Man, it just drove me crazy, you know what I'm saying? And, and so I would get angry, and I'd get, like, veins popping out and stuff like that. And so instead of that anymore, here's what I do. The first thing I do when I see that is I go, really? And that's really way better than what I used to say. And then I say, God, I, I, I need your spirit to fill me. And I, and I start praying for the guy or the woman, and I say, you know, obviously this person um, doesn't know what they're doing, uh, driving so slow, so would you please, you know, help them out? Or maybe they cut me off in traffic. That's one that's really not right, you know, or they, they come up and they, you know, they're up on my bumper, which doesn't happen very much to me, but it does happen, um, you know, and, and so what I say is, God, they're going to hurt somebody if you don't change the way they're acting right now. So please, change the way they're acting. Or, or like for another example, I go into the grocery store, you know, and I'm standing in the 10 items or less line, and, and the, the person in front of me has 12 items. You know, I used to get really upset. I mean, th this would ruin my day. But now what happens is I just go, God, obviously that lady in front of me cannot count. So would you please help her with her math skills? And please, you know, you know continue to bless me by your Holy Spirit. Just yesterday... Just yesterday, I was cutting a bunch of boards for this project I'm doing at home, and I had a board that when I cut it, one side would be nine feet, and the other side would be seven feet, and then I had to take the seven-foot board and cut it again to smaller boards. Well, Nancy came out in the middle of me cutting the board, you know, and so I took the nine-foot board instead of the seven-foot board and cut it into a smaller piece. Well, you know what happens when you take a nine-foot board and cut it into a smaller piece? It's not nine feet long anymore. So guess whose fault that was? It was my fault. Jeez, it was my fault. You all, people are going, Nancy, Nancy. No, it's my fault. It was my fault. But in the past, I'll be honest with you, I would have said, oh, man, God, it was Nancy's fault. You know, can't you, can't, but anyway, this wife you gave me. Okay, so, so yesterday I said, God, that was my fault, you know, and I, I, I sort of was going down the path where, because the sin was crouching at the door right there. And here's the thing, in any situation, and there's a lot worse situations, but I just want you to understand that it doesn't take a big situation, everyday situation, set the table for anger. So when that situation comes up, it's a momentaneous decision to say, fill me with your spirit. And for years, what I've been saying is, let me treat that person like I would want to be treated in that situation. And I don't always get it right, I don't. But more and more and more... I would say the Holy Spirit gets it right because I give him control. And when he has control, the right thing happens. And that's what's supposed to happen in our lives every single day. And, and God's grace is always available to us who trust in Jesus Christ. And I, I've been saying that, those of us who trust in Jesus Christ, I've been saying that over and over and over again because it's true. You see, if Jesus Christ is not your Savior and Lord, you do not have that power. You, I mean, you can try hard and you might be better at trying hard than I am. But my experience of trying hard, I mean, for years and years and years, I tried so hard to not get angry, it made me angry. But I don't do that anymore. Because trying hard doesn't work. But letting the Holy Spirit be in charge. But so if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I would encourage you to say yes to him. Lord means owner. 
That's the hard part of Savior and Lord. Savior's easy. I mean, Savior means he saved you from sin and me. He saved us from sin. He died on the cross and took away our sins. But he also saved us from death, eternal death, separation from God in hell. And, and so that's the easy part. But the Lord part is the challenging part because it says, I'm turning over control, which no human being wants to do. Um, it's just not natural, but it is supernatural to give him control. And, and then then when that happens, we don't just get Jesus. We get the Father and the, and the Spirit because there's only one God. And then we have the power that we need. And so that's why the commitment for today is I will make war on anger through Jesus' resurrection power this week. As we've been saying through this series, whatever the sin, doesn't matter what the sin is, we need Jesus' resurrection power because what is the resurrection power of Jesus? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us when we trust in him. Now, once we have the Holy Spirit in us, when it comes to anger, let's say something happens this afternoon or tomorrow, whenever, and you start to feel that anger. So what do we do? Well, it's very simple. Number one, it's not always easy, but it's very simple. The first thing we do is we say, is it a justified thing? Is this an injustice? Is this something that I should be angry about or not? If it is, then we need to respond appropriately. And I'm going to give you a very small example of, of a justified case of anger um, it happened in my life. It's been happening actually the last couple of weeks. Two out of the last three weeks, uh, I want to show you this little card. Do you see this? It says prayer card on it. Um, the, they're in the back seats of your, of your chairs or on the front seat if you're sitting in a front seat. But these are prayer cards. Notice it says prayer card, and there's a place to put your name and your email and your phone. And so you write down your prayer request, and then if you don't want to, you don't have to sign it because maybe you just are, you know, afraid to sign your name for a prayer request, and, and you just, God's going to know who you are anyway. That's the point. So, but, but notice what it doesn't say on here is complaint card. It doesn't say complaint card, but the two out of the last three weeks, somebody turned this prayer card into a complaint card, and then they didn't sign their name. Okay, you see why I'm angry? You might not see why I'm angry, but I'm the pastor of a church that for 16 plus years has emphasized truth and love. And so when somebody signs an anonymous doesn't sign an anonymous complaint. And actually, it's a prayer card, but makes a complaint. What is that? What's the point? The point is, I disagree with the direction of the church, and I want to do something different. You're welcome to do that. In fact, Pastor Brad, last night when he corrected me because I said something wrong about Scripture, I'm all for that. In fact, I'm all for it when you come to me and say, Pastor Chris, you know, there was something that you said or did, or there's something the church does, and I don't agree with it, and we can talk face-to-face, because that's what Matthew 18 says we're supposed to do. You know, you have a problem with a brother, you talk directly to each other. You don't put it on a piece of paper that's supposed to be a prayer card and make a complaint and turn it in so that the pastor will read it and do what? Because I don't know who you are, so I can't help you. And I certainly am not going to listen to you if you don't even tell me who you are. So I do want to tell you something. This is going to sound a little harsh, but whoever it is that wrote those cards, I just want to tell you that in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, there's a very important verse for you. Revelation 21, 1 to 7, most powerful, beautiful words, I think, in the book of Revelation, really, because it tells us what it's going to be like for the new heaven and the new earth. And and it talks about, you know, that God's going to be in the midst of us. There's not going to be any sun because God's going to be the light, and there's not going to be any mourning or crying or pain. It's wonderful. And it says, everybody who follows me, that's what's going to happen to us. And then in verse 8, it it gives the list of people who are not going to be in heaven. And it has murderers in there, and you'd expect that. It has sexually immoral, you'd expect that. It has, you know, witchcraft people, you'd expect that. But the first people on the list, it says, the cowards. The cowards are going to go to hell. And it's cowardly to fill out a complaint card on a prayer card and not sign your name, right? 
So why am I taking such a long time to talk about this? Because unity is the most important thing in the church. Uh, I mean, it says that all over the place in the Bible. Let there be no divisions among you. And so I, I don't want this little seed to sprout and grow. So if you have a complaint, please come and tell me. And what I'll tell you is, whoa, that's a good idea. Or I'll tell you, well, that's not part of our vision. And if it isn't part of our vision, then it doesn't really matter how good of an idea it is. We won't do it. But if it is part of our vision and it corrects me, then we'll, we'll do it. Okay? As brothers and sisters, that's what we do. Um, but cowards can be forgiven just the same as angry people can be forgiven and just the same as, you know, people that lust and have greed and all that. We can all be forgiven, but only if we know that what we're doing is wrong. And so if you don't know it was wrong, you don't have that excuse anymore because now you know. So then the other thing is, what if whatever the sin is, and in this case we're talking about anger, anger comes up and it's not justified, just like my dad's lawnmower experience or my you know, driving the car experience or whatever your experience might be, then immediately in that second, in that second, you say, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And you might have another verse that works for you, but for me, uh, there's nothing better than, and God, let me do in this situation what I would want to have done to me. And, and that's why I took the time to tell you about the complaint thing, because that's really what I would want somebody to tell me. Pastor Chris, you know, you shouldn't be talking about people anonymously. If you have a problem with somebody, go talk to them, and pretty much you know I do that. Um, I always will. Okay, so if we want to live a life that matters, we have to have Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. If we have a life that matters, we have to have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And when we do, this is the coolest thing. It will change the world. It always has. It always will. And out there in the world, there are a lot of people that think the church of Jesus Christ is irrelevant. Because frankly, a lot of times in the church, all there is is a bunch of anonymous garbage going on. And nobody's loving each other and telling the truth to each other. And so lives don't get changed. And the Holy Spirit isn't working. And so we go out there. And even though we're Christians, we don't look any different than anybody else. And so people say, you know, those church people. Okay? We're not going to be those church people. <laughs> We're going to be us church people, we church people that love each other, that tell the truth to each other, and tell the truth to other people and show them love so that they can see a difference. I mean, there is a difference. There's a difference when the Holy Spirit's leading in people's lives. And so the world needs that desperately. We need it desperately because without it, you end up with Clyde Marshall or Chris Marshall. Oh, my. That's a bad thing. You don't want that. What you want is Jesus. You know, and Paul said, the Apostle Paul, eventually he said, it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. That's what the world needs. And, and thankfully, God has provided that um, by his death and resurrection power. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today and for the opportunity we have to know that you care. Even about a, a killer like Cain, you care. And certainly about each of us you care, and you want us to live lives of victory. And so today, God, if anybody in the room doesn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, I pray that even in this instant they will say yes to him. And for all of us who do, God, that we will give over our hearts to you so that your Holy Spirit would fill them up with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And whatever it is that was in there, God, will get erased so that we can live lives that not only will make a difference for, for us, but for the world, so that we can extend um, your glory in the world, that we can receive your grace and extend your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.